Welcome, and thank you for listening to Grace Heritage Church Audio, building a household of faith on a foundation of grace. Visit us online at graceheritage.org. Please stay tuned after the message for more information. I do bring you greetings from Heritage Church. Uh, Hank Rast was with you last week, and uh, we are glad that we can be here today, my family and I, and uh, as as we read this morning, we'll read from Ezekiel chapter 36. So if you would turn to Ezekiel 36, uh, all kidding aside, we do have uh, a couple more elders that don't have children. Uh, they have attended Auburn, but we do have another elder who may send his daughter here next year. So uh, it's not a prerequisite, but uh, we are glad uh, to have our daughter here, uh, glad that uh, the Lord has found it fit that she would be here. So Ezekiel chapter 36, and I'll start at verse 22 and read through the end of the chapter. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, And you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers And you shall be my people, and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleannesses. And I will summon the grain, make it abundant, and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant, that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways, and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited, and the waste places shall be rebuilt. And the land that was desolate shall be tilled instead of being the desolation that it was in the sight of all who pass by. And they will say, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. And the waste and desolate and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations that are left all around you shall know that I am the Lord. I have rebuilt the ruined places 
and replanted that which was desolate. I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it. Thus says the Lord God, This also I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them, to increase their people like a flock, like the flock for sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem during her appointed feasts. So shall the waste cities be filled with the flocks of people. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we have sung your praises. You are great beyond measure. We have sung from, from our hearts that would, we would praise you, great Jehovah. We thank you for your word, and we ask that you would bless it, that it would go forth this day. Lord, send your Holy Spirit now that we would, we would rejoice in what you have done, what you have promised, and what you are doing in this world. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the book of Ezekiel is a very difficult book to preach from because most of it has imagery that is very difficult to understand. It's not my intention to go into all of that imagery today. My intent really is to look at the triune God in saving a people. And as we look this morning, Ezekiel is given through the book of Ezekiel and all of the chapters, most of it is very difficult. It's a hard message. In Ezekiel 2, God says, I will give you a message of mourning and woe and lamentation. Not a message most people want to give. And in fact, Ezekiel is such a shepherd that God knows that he would recoil from that. So in Ezekiel 3, God gives him a forehead like flint. And flint is a very hard substance, as we all know. But a forehead like flint that he would not repent from giving the message. But in Ezekiel 3, Ezekiel is such a good shepherd to God's people, unlike many of the shepherds at this time, that he is... Uh, verse 5, I sat there overwhelmed among them seven days. He's given the message of God to give to the people of God. And he's overwhelmed with the message. God gives him a forehead like flint so that he would continue because God knows that his people will not repent. And it's sort of an illustration. If you had a doctor who was delivering news to a patient and the patient wouldn't listen to the doctor. And the patient keeps coming back, and the doctor has the remedy for the situation. It can very easily be a discouraging thing. I need to tell them, but they're not going to listen. God says, tell them anyway. Tell them again. Tell them again. I want them to hear this. Ezekiel was uh, born at the time that King Josiah reigned. King Josiah, if you looked in uh, 2 Chronicles or 2 Kings, Josiah was a great king. Great reforms happened under Josiah. And if you remember, the law of God had been lost during the reign, prior to the reign of Josiah. He becomes the king at a young age. High priest finds the law of God. He brings it. Josiah repents. He tears his clothing as they did in the Old Testament or Jews do as a sign of repentance. And he has great reforms and stills great 
reforms in the nation of Israel. So Ezekiel heard him, but it's likely that Josiah died when Ezekiel was about 13 years of age. So he was a young man. He had heard Josiah. He had seen the reforms in Israel. Josiah's sons become king, and things go south from there. Very bad things happen. The nation is now in exile at the time that this message is given to Ezekiel. Uh, one of his, uh, someone else who preached at the same time was Jeremiah. And it's very likely that Jeremiah had preached and Ezekiel had heard him preach. If you look through some of the message of Ezekiel, it's similar to what Jeremiah had preached. So you can see that the Lord was giving this message of uh, mourning, woe, and lamentation. But in the midst of this, this there are great promises of what God will do. As I mentioned, Josiah was king. He had died. Ezekiel sees the destruction of the nation. And the message that Ezekiel is given is God is jealous for his own glory. He is jealous for his glory. And the people of Israel are in captivity because of their own sin and idolatrous ways. So if we turn to Ezekiel chapter 8, we'll look at a couple of the verses in Ezekiel 8. In, in chapter uh, 10, excuse me, chapter 8, verse 10, Ezekiel goes in and he sees abominations in the temple. So I went in and saw, and there engraved on the wall all around was every form of creeping things and loathsome beasts and all the idols of the house of Israel. So in God's temple, they had idols. Verse 12. Then he said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel are doing in the dark? Each in his own room of pictures, for they say the Lord does not see. The Lord has forsaken the land. He said to me, you'll see still greater abominations that they commit. So even the the ones who should have been shepherds were... uh, were idolatrous. Verse 14, Then he brought me to the entrance of the north gate of the house of the Lord, and behold, there sat women weeping for Tammuz. Tammuz was an idol. Then he said to me, Have you seen this, O son of man? You will see still greater abominations than these. So idolatry was rampant in the nation. It's a terrible thing. And the history of the Old Testament of God's people is God blessing these people and them going back to their idolatrous ways. God blessing them again, calling them to himself, and again, idolatry. I have a co-worker who's from South Africa. He had a a cattle ranch in Namibia. It's 4,000 acres, previously had cattle in it. So there were barbed wires or barbed wire fence all around the outside of this ranch. And his desire was that he would have a wild animal ranch. So he noticed that the wild animals would come in herds and they would jump over the fence. And 
herds of zebra and other animals that we in, in the West don't see very often. So they kept jumping over. So he had a couple of his uh, cattle hands help him, and they removed a large portion of the fence with the hopes that more animals would come in. Well, he noticed that they would still come in and they would jump over the fence where the fence wasn't there anymore. And it's a good illustration of God's people in the Old Testament, and quite frankly, us apart from grace. The Lord tells us, come to me. But if we don't come to him, we'll still jump the fence, even though it's not there. We'll still try to create our own righteousness and do things trying to earn favor with God. So I I thought that that was a good illustration, and we'll come back to that later. But this is the people of Israel jumping the fence. Ezekiel continues, the destruction is deserved to the nation, but God will bring a people to judge his nation, and he will then judge those people because they're acting in their own sinful ways against God's people. And God is jealous for his name. And then he will work in a people, we read, that to keep his name from being profaned among the nations and one day restore them to a place like the Garden of Eden. Great promise from God himself. And as we read in Ezekiel, God does everything. His motivation is his own glory. We read, it's for my name's sake. Not for you, but my name's sake that I will do this. God is jealous for his holy name. Who is this God? Well, he's the one who created all things, who existed from eternity past. He had glory without the need for anything prior to creation. It's blasphemy to say that he needed to create. He did not. He was altogether Lovely before creation. There was the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in communion, perfect communion before the foundations of the earth. He had no need of anything. He's self-sufficient. He needs nothing. He's the creator of the universe. We could look in Job and he asked Job. Job is a book of, of mourning and woe and lamentation. At the end of the book, Job is finally tired and he's asking God why. God says, chapter 38, Job, gird up your loins. I've got some questions for you. And for us, we have to ask ourselves questions. Do you stop to think about the foundations of the earth and the establishment of their measures? God asked Job that. I measured these out. Did you... Counsel me in this. No. Think of the oceans. How did God contain the water when there was not yet land? How does he do it today? How does he keep the ocean from not going further than it does? Well, we can describe what happens, but we don't know how he does it. We can't comprehend all that he does. He's deserving of glory in who he is. In Isaiah 6, Isaiah is in the temple. He sees the glory of the Lord, the robe of the Lord, fill the temple. And he says, woe is me. 
God is holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah is, woe, judgment be upon me. I am a man of unclean lips. I have nothing to say. Think of John in the book of Revelation in 117. He comes in the presence of the Lord and he falls down as dead. This is a great God that we serve. And he is jealous for his name. He's always powerful. He's all powerful. He knows all things. Even before we speak, he knows what's on our tongue. How can that be? I've been married for almost 26 years. I cannot tell what is going to come out of my wife's mouth. And in a good way. She's so far different than I am. Thankfully for our children, she's different than I am. But I, can't, I don't know what she's about to say. God knows what every single one of us is about to say before it's even on our lips. He's all present. He's omnipresent. He's always everywhere. How does that work? I don't know. I don't know. But he's a good and gracious God. He's unchanging and unable to change. He does not change, which is good for us. He makes promises, he keeps them, and he does not repent of his decisions. In Malachi, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. I am thankful he doesn't change. I am not consumed because the Lord does not change. He's the sustainer of all things. As Calvin said, he who keeps the stars and the planets in their various orbits is also the God who sustains the smallest toenail of the tiniest infant. You have the two extremes there. Who is this God? Do you know who he is? Have you met him? Do you know what he's like? I promise you, based on the word of God, you will one day give an account to him for everything you have done. If you have not met him, you will meet him. He is jealous for his own name. So this great God has reason to be jealous for his own name. He gives us the Ten Commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. One of the Ten Commandments. It's so important to him that his name be praised and be glorified that in the Ten Commandments he says, you shall not take my name in vain. Of course, the opposite of that is true and implied in that. We are to praise his name. We are to glorify his name in all that we do. It's obvious that he must seek his own glory. Otherwise, he would be an idolater. Because if his name is greater than any other name, he must be about the business of glorifying that name. We can read in Proverbs 22.1, a good name is to be desired above riches. And certainly that is something that we want. We want a good reputation. And it's a good thing to have a good reputation. But God is reflecting his own character, who he is. A good name is to be desired above riches. More than riches, 
Good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. And it's an amazing thing to me that God is so desirous for the glory of his name that he gives up the treasure of his son for a time. Have you ever thought of that? He empties heaven, if you would, of his son for a time to dwell amongst his people that he would, his name would be glorified. And in saving a people, God is desirous of keeping his great name. You might ask, why does God want a good name? Well, we can see it from our own daily lives. Many of us are sports fans, and we have a favorite sports team. And if somebody else says, well, they're terrible, and we don't think they are, some of us can react very strongly to that. How dare you say that about my team? Of course, that's really the value of a team. It's nice to have them, but in the eternal weight, it's nothing. Many of us work for other employers. Your employer would be ready to fire you if you were basically taking the company's name and throwing it in the trash in front of either your competitors or customers. Inherently, we know that a good name is a good thing. It's an important thing, from, even from our daily lives. God is desirous of his holy name, that it would not be profaned. And his people are called for his glory, but not because of anything good in them. We have nothing we can give to God. Nothing. We are sinners by nature. Sinners by choice. Romans 3, there's none good, not one. There's no one righteous. None of us are righteous. Okay, Ezekiel, coming back. The destruction of Israel is announced because of their idolatrous ways. Think of Exodus. God has in Exodus his people. He's taking them out. But he takes them out. And as soon as he takes them out of the land of Egypt, Moses, why did you take us out here? We loved it back in Egypt. Really? We're so quick to forget. And the Lord's people are so quick to forget. As we look at this, I have to ask you, do you take the name of God in vain? Do you use it as you use any other word in your vocabulary? Are you jealous for his glory? If not, I ask you, why not? Are you more jealous for the glory of your favorite sports team, your school, your own name? He is jealous for his name. If you are jealous for his glory, it's because he's changed you. Blessed be his name. But in being... Jealous for his name, he has a remedy here that is an amazing thing. He is going to give his good shepherd. Let's turn to Ezekiel 34. And we'll look at uh, verse 11. It says in verse 11, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. 
As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds in thick darkness. Then I want to skip down to uh, verse 23. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. So the question we have to ask ourselves, why would God have to send a shepherd? Well, it's necessary because his, he describes his people as sheep. They're similar to sheep. They go their own way. We have all, like sheep, gone astray. Not the brightest animal. In fact, they're fairly dumb. They have very little sense of what dangers exist around them. It really isn't that us apart from grace. We can sort of go along our ways and think everything's okay, not realizing as we sung in A Mighty Fortress is Our God, there is someone who is opposed to us and will destroy us if he has his way. Apart from grace, we won't see it. Sheep are very clueless about their lives and needs. They sort of just eat and move to wherever the shepherd brings them. But if there is no shepherd, they're lost very easily. And they get themselves in pickles they can't get themselves out of. And then they just sit there and they have no idea what they should be doing. And the shepherd that God has given or is promised in Ezekiel is a good shepherd. Think of the gentleness of a shepherd going after a lost sheep. He's not beating them with a rod. He's taking the staff and he's bringing them back. We can read in Psalm 23, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He's the gentle shepherd. In Luke 19.10, Jesus Christ says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save that what was lost. He's going after the lost sheep. He's going for those who don't know him. Have you ever been lost? Let me give, give you an example. I went to Bulgaria four years ago for work, and we went out into the mountains, and we had dinner one night. We had to walk from where we were, and it's the darkest I have ever seen in my life. And the guide that we had, the person who was with us, we were completely dependent upon him to get us anywhere. Because even if we could get out of that area, my colleagues and I had no idea where we would go. We were completely unfamiliar with the land. Thankfully, our guide was a good guide and he didn't get us lost. He knew exactly where we were going. But we couldn't see our hands a couple feet in front of us. Without a shepherd, we would have been lost. And this man was a shepherd to us. Well, who is this good shepherd that God promises? We read God will be, in verse 11, 34, I myself will search out for my sheep and seek them out as a shepherd seeks out his flock. So God is saying, I am this sheep, uh, this shepherd. I am the shepherd. 
And at the end of that chapter, or in verse 23, it says, it'll be my servant David. Well, who is it? Is it David or is it God? We know that David has been dead for some time by the time that Ezekiel was written. So it's not David, but it's David's son, yet David's Lord. And we see here the promise of the great shepherd being the God-man, both God and man. He says, I will do this, and this shepherd will be David, like David, a man. 2 Samuel 7, David has a promise from the scriptures that through his line, this shepherd will come. And we see that it is the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search out for my sheep. John 10, let's turn to John 10. Verse 11, Jesus, Jesus is talking in this passage that he is the good shepherd. In verse 11, it says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So Jesus is saying, I am this one shepherd that was promised long ago. I am the shepherd. Remember John in his view of of Christ. Behold the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. John could see it. The lamb who takes away the sins of the world. And what is the motivation for this shepherd, Jesus Christ? Let's turn to John 17. Because Jesus has a motivation and his motivation is the glory of the Father's name. He is about the business of glorifying the name of the Lord. Verse 6, he says in his high priestly prayer, this is right before he's given over to be crucified, and he's praying. And he says, I have manifested, verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. I made known your name to these people. Verse 11, And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me. Verse 12, I have guarded while I was with them. I kept them in your name. Jesus is about glorifying his Father's name. And seeing to it that his disciples glorify his name. He is jealous for the glory of the Father. He is the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. 1 Peter 1, 19 and 20. But with the precious blood of Christ like that of a Lamb, without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, for your sake. How can this be? Well, 
Let's look at this lamb. The lamb is like the lamb in Exodus. You think of Exodus. There was a lamb, the blood of the lamb, that had to be put on the doorpost. If the blood was there, the angel would pass over. If the blood wasn't there, the firstborn would be taken that night, would be killed. Jesus' blood, if you have his blood to your account, given to your account, God will pass over in judgment because he's already passed judgment on his lamb. He has paid the penalty for your sins if you are in Christ. He was known before the foundation of the world, which means God planned this in eternity past. God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit planned this in eternity past. That he, foreseeing a fallen race, he would send his son, his son would come, he would die, he would rescue, and the Holy Spirit would make this effective in their lives. In eternity past which means God is most glorified by sinners coming to him and praising his name and glorifying him. Those who are once, those who profaned his name, now glorify his name. We can read in Ephesians, the angels in heaven long to look into these things. What, those who profaned his name were rescued by the great shepherd and they now glorify his name? How can it be? How can it be? And the angels are amazed and they praise him. Holy, holy, holy is your name because of your great work. It's an amazing thing. Well, if God had given his son, and his son died to pay the penalty for sins, but yet no one believed it, and there wasn't a heart change, it would be all for nothing. So our triune God sends the Holy Spirit. And we read about that in Ezekiel 36. He says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Why does God the Holy Spirit need to dwell within his people? Well, we talked about the record of God's people in the Old Testament. They can't keep covenant. They can't keep covenant. God makes covenants and they break them. So God says, I will make a covenant with myself. The only one who can really keep covenant is God himself. So he makes a covenant, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he keeps it. We can read in Hebrews, it's impossible for him to lie. When he says he'll do something, he does it. Father plans to send the Son. John 16, 5, Jesus says he's returning to the Father who sent him. So this great covenant is God is going to send the Son. The son dies for his people and gives them his righteousness. I am the good sheep. And then the father and the son send the Holy Spirit. If you remember, the disciple, Jesus tells the disciples, I'm ready to go. And they're weeping. He says, no, it's better for you that I go. Because if I don't go, 
then the Holy Spirit will not be sent. An amazing thing that the Holy Spirit is a promise to the disciples to comfort them. But Jesus, we have you. We can touch you. We can feel you. And that was a great thing. But there's something even greater. He's going to put his spirit within us. Put his, spirits within the, his spirit within the disciples that they would want to obey. Not perfectly, but really obey. Lord, I delight to do your will. Not perfectly as the son did, but now I have a desire to follow you. We would not be able to obey without a change in nature. We read in John, excuse me, Romans 3. None good, no, not one. There's none who seeks after God. We can't without a new nature. So God tells the people of Israel through Ezekiel, I will take your heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. Great promise. I will write my law on their hearts. Similar to Jeremiah saying the same thing. I will write my law on their hearts that they would want to obey. I mentioned my co-workers' uh, wild animal farm in Namibia. Remember, the animals would still jump even after the fences were gone. But there's an amazing thing. As the babies would be born, they would run right through where the fence used to be. And they would, he said, it's kind of odd. They would almost look back at the herd and wonder why they're jumping. Well, really, that's the new birth. We're born again. We don't have to jump over trying to please the Lord. He gives us a new heart that we want to please him, and he makes us to run in paths of righteousness. An amazing thing. And this points to a future day in glory when we will not be able to sin anymore. Revelation 21.1 Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for former things have passed away. The promise of the Garden of Eden here, or a land like Eden, I'm of the opinion that it's realized in that last day when God restores everything to the way it was in the original creation. He will one day repristinate this earth and we will dwell with him, sinless, his spirit indwelling us, seeing Christ face to face, for those of us who are Christians, what a great work God has done for His glory. We are the good recipients of that. 
for some of the children, you may think, how can this be that God is desiring his glory and what's best is his glory, but yet I benefit? Well, think about going to a friend's house. You're going to sleep over. Mom says, yes, you can go over. So the first thing you think of, I'm going to my friend's house. But also there's the, the benefits of, well, we're going to play these games, we're going to eat this, we're going to watch these movies. Both are true at the same time. But what really set that up was mom or dad saying, you can go. So you can think God's glory is the most important thing and we benefit from it. It's not our glory. It's his that's most important. For those of you who might be unbelievers, let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 33. As I mentioned, most of this book is mourning, woe, and lamentation. And it's this great promise within that. But in chapter 33, verse 10, he says, And you, son of man, say to the house of Israel. So he's speaking to Ezekiel and saying, Speak to the people of Israel. Thus have you said, Surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us, and we rot away because of them. How then can we live? Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? For those of you who are unbelievers, why will you die? God has done a great work in sending his shepherd for sinners. Not the righteous, but sinners he's come for. Why will you die? He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Do you believe this, God? Do you believe the God who will come, who has come, who will come again, Next time in judgment, he came in grace, but he's coming in judgment next time. And I must warn you, he will come in judgment. Verse 30 of Ezekiel 33. As for you, son of man, your people who talk together about you by the walls and at the doors of the house say to one another, each to his brother, come and hear what the Lord is, is that, hear that the word what the word is that comes from the Lord. And they come to you as a people come, and they sit before you as my people. And they hear what you say, but they will not do it. For with lustful talk in their mouths, they act, their heart is set on their gain. And behold, you are to them like one who sings lustful songs with a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument, for they hear what you say, but they will not do it. When this comes, and come it will, then they will know that a prophet has been among them. The word has been preached in your midst, not just from me, but from your pastor and your elder and others. If you will not repent, the mourning, woe, and lamentation that's spoken of in Ezekiel will come upon you. But remember, the Lord does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked, 
but that he would turn from his ways and repent. Let's pray. Father, you have given us your word. It is a mighty word, mighty to save. We have here you, Father, you, Son, you, Holy Spirit, the triune God working in a people. Lord, we thank you that you have worked in many here and that you are about the business of glorifying your name, which seems from this passage to be most extent when sinners come to you, they repent of their sins, they trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and the work that he has done. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. And we ask that you would, by your Holy Spirit, take captivity captive today. Take those who do not know you and make them yours to your glory. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Grace Heritage Church meets in Auburn, Alabama. Services are held at 9.30 a.m. on Sunday morning at 1345 Annaloo Drive, 